are Locked On Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are Locked On Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for The Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. The Green Bay Packers have a closing problem. Yes, they've won 12 games. This is something they have to get corrected as soon as possible. Jason Hershorn, America's guest, joins us on the show in a little bit, and we're going to talk to him about this thing that has been holding the Packers back from being reflected in some of the metrics like Football Outsiders. We had Aaron Schatz on a couple weeks ago talking about why the numbers don't like them as much, and it's because they have finished games close. I have pushed back at times over that, and I did this in 2019 as well. The Packers were better than their point differential, which affects things like Pythagorean win expectation and approximate wins and all these formulas that we can use and that I like and and I think are useful. But the Packers have had a double digit, a two score lead in every win this season. And they have a number of of games where they were in control of the game and let that game get out of their control. They lost control of that game. They were up 17-0 to the 49ers and needed Aaron Rodgers to pull off a semi-miracle. For Rodgers, it's not miraculous. For most quarterbacks with 53 seconds and one timeout, driving the length of the field to get the game-winning field goal would be miraculous. It was light work for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, They were up 16-7 and then 22-14 on the Bengals. That's a touchdown and a two-point in the second case. And that was in part because Mason Crosby lost his damn mind. They were up 24 to 10 on the Cardinals without half their team. They were in control of that game until late. They were up 36 to 17 on the Rams, a game that they would have won by double digits had Mason Crosby made a chip shot field goal at the end of the game. Now, that's a troubling trend. But that is the reality of how they play down-to-down, play-to-play. They they did dominate that game in a way that the final score does not reflect. Against the Baltimore Ravens, they were up 31-17. That game, that felt like they were in full control of that game. And they let Baltimore get back in it. They were up 24-12 on the Cleveland Browns. And let Cleveland basically run their way back into the game. Now, they dropped... At least one, but probably two interceptions after that point that would have sealed the game. Devontae Adams had a, a drop that would not have allowed uh, the the Browns to go down and, and try and, and tie the game, score, whatever it is, win the game. They, they He couldn't secure it. This is a two-part problem. This is not just, oh, the offense. Or, oh, the defense. 
But I want to offer a solution. I don't even want to dig into the problem yet. I want to offer the solution first. This defense, I like the approach of two high coverages, force teams to run the ball, and bet that your offense is going to be more efficient than theirs. I think that is a good plan, especially in the first half. Now, the Packers defense has not played well. They are... Um, one of the worst first quarter offenses in the league. They are the best second quarter offense in the league for whatever reason. They're going to fight back. And as I said, they're going to take leads in these games. We know they are. They have in essentially every game this season. And certainly with Aaron Rodgers, we know that they're going to score a bunch of points. This defense plays a little too passive with a lead. And I know that seems like a weird thing to say because what you want is to not give up quick scores to opponents when you have a lead. If it's 31-17, the last thing you want to do is give up a two-play 75-yard touchdown. Except, except you're giving the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. You're giving the ball back to Aaron Rodgers and an offense that loves to control the clock, that controls the tempo, that controls everything that's happening on the field. This is an offense that is capable of being a quick score offense. But they are precise. They can be surgical. Quick passes, run game, boot action, screen game, receiver screens, RPOs, and they will methodically move the ball down the field. So if it's 31-17 and you give up that quick score, you, you need to trust your offense to possess the ball and move it. And they need, to, they need to do that. The Browns game, part of the reason why they weren't able to push that lead was not just the defense, it was the offense going three and out in consecutive possessions in the second half. If you're going to be, and this is exactly my point, actually, if you're going to be this team that wants teams to, to, to drive the ball down the field, to go 10, 12, 15 plays, then in the second half of these games with leads, you're putting a lot of pressure on your offense in these situations. If it's, if it's 24-12 and you give up a quick score, then you want your offense to be able to possess the ball, right? You're, you're limiting the number of possessions. One three and out then becomes more impactful because you, you are limiting the number of total possessions that your offense is going to get. Now, the reverse is true, but this Packers offense has not been forcing three and outs at a high rate. They are allowing teams to get first downs. They're allowing teams to move the ball. And so they're not going to get the ball back quickly. So any three and out, any punt becomes that much more impactful. What I would like to see is, I'm again, I'm fine with some of the conservative play early. And then take the reverse approach that conventional wisdom would say is the prudent approach. Take a little bit more risk with the lead. Try and end it. Try and get that sack. Try and force that interception. Try and force that sack fumble. 
Try and create a little bit of pressure, a little bit of chaos. Because saying, okay, well, we're going to make you drive 10, 12, 15 plays, it now puts the pressure back on your offense. And I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth in a way because I'm saying, well, trust your offense. And yes, but if the game turns into a shootout because you're giving up quick scores and then the Packers are getting the ball back, who would you rather be in a shootout with than Aaron Rodgers? And the more possessions he gets, the more times he has to potentially score. And if if he gets four, five, six chances in a half, he's going to score in a couple of them. But if he gets three chances, all of a sudden one three and out, one negative play becomes that much more impactful. This is just the numbers game. One bad play. And we saw this on Saturday against the Browns. They try and run an end around. By the way, an end around that the Browns ran twice to great effect. Um, and they lose 10 yards on it because it's not executed well. That play now has devastating effects because you get limited opportunities to possess the ball. I am advocating an approach whereby you attack an opposing offense a little bit more. Try and create the turnover. Try and create a three and out. Try and create the negatives that get you the ball back and give your offense more opportunities to put the game out of reach. And who knows, you might create a turnover. You might create a negative, a splash play to give your offense that chance to really stomp on someone's neck. So the other part of this is they can find a bit of a middle ground here and just play a little more aggressive down to down play to play. They are still playing, especially lately, way, 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 way too soft. You go back and watch the tape from this Browns game. Second and seven inside the 15. They're playing at eight, nine yards and bailing. It's just, it's free yards. You're begging the Browns to pick up the first down. Fourth and one. Russell Douglas is at seven yards depth and in his pedal. Explain it to me. That makes no sense. Now, getting Jair Alexander back, maybe he doesn't do that. Or maybe he's better at driving on the ball because he's more explosive. We'll see. We don't know if Jair Alexander is going to be out there. The Packers have a new set of, of players hitting the COVID list. None of them are starters. None of them are really um, even, even that impactful in terms of their arrival on the COVID list, but they join guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling who are. And, you know, someone like MVS, he's going through a difficult time right now, had a, a tragic death in the family of a child. And who knows if he's going to be back this week. They they can't afford this kind of second half malaise. You need them playing aggressive down to down. And, and it's the same logic. I get wanting to play the two shell saying, we, we dare you to beat us down the field. That doesn't mean play totally passive. And they haven't. You watch them in some of these other games. Yes, they're playing off, but they're not playing soft. They're playing at seven yards, feet in the ground, and it's shuffle, shuffle drive rather than pedal, pedal drive. There's a difference there. Hold your ground. And in the red zone, they're playing, not only are they playing off, 
but then they're bailing. It, it doesn't make sense. And if you take away some of those easy gimmies, that, that makes a world of difference too. The Packers have traded two consecutive offenses with bad receivers, like they had really good receivers. And what I'm beginning to get a little concerned about with Joe Barry is an inability to react in-game and week-to-week to the team that you're playing. He's kind of just playing the hits. He's saying, this is what we run, and so we're going to run it against you. And it's hard to quibble with an approach that says, we don't we don't want you to run, or we don't want you to, to um, ha- we want you to have to be efficient because we don't think you can be, and Baker Mayfield throws four interceptions, and that that worked, but the run defense was still terrible, and they still, in, in some of these do-or-drive drive moments, are giving up these completions because of that same approach. I don't think the interceptions came because of the approach. Baker Mayfield did not throw a lollipop to Darnell Savage because they were playing two shell. In fact, they were not even in two shell in that play. That was a single high safety look. Russell Douglas did not pick off Baker Mayfield twice because he was playing soft. He did it because Baker Mayfield made two ill-advised plays. It it, it doesn't make sense to me. Matt LaFleur said he wants it corrected. And at a certain point, it, it does fall on Matt LaFleur to get it corrected. And so I want them to be more aggressive everywhere, but I'm okay with them saying, we're gonna give you some of this stuff early on, build the lead, and then I think it makes sense. Be aggressive. Be a little bit more aggressive. Take some chances to really end the game with the confidence that your offense is going to pick you up. Joining me now, my co-founder at The Leap and America's guest, my friend and yours, Jason Hershorn is here. Jason, uh, Merry Christmas. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm doing about as well as one can in these. Uh, we're done saying unprecedented times, right? Like it's been two years. They're now precedented. <laughs> right. They are unfortunately very precedented and um, that's not great. And who knows when it's going to end. So um, really up, up, uplifting way to, to start the segment. And uh, we're going to continue that theme, unfortunately, here, because this game against the Browns for the Packers, there were obviously some highs. Uh, there were plenty of lows. And and let's start with the lowest of lows, the run defense. Uh, they gave up almost nine yards a carry, a, a figure that, as I pointed out on yesterday's show, would be very good for a quarterback per attempt. And yet this is something that the Browns did uh, on the ground. Over the last two weeks, we've seen this run defense really not play particularly well at all. Now, against two very good ground teams and against two uncommon opponents, how concerned are you that this is something that could really come back to bite them the way that we we saw it in the 2019 playoffs. Well, there's definitely that potential there, but we have to apply context, right? Two weeks ago, the Packers played without Kenny Clark. Mm-hmm. He matters dramatically to any form of the defense, specifically the run defense. So that's important. He comes off of COVID, but you know, he's yeah, you know, he played all of the snaps pretty much. So it, it does seem as though he wasn't limited by it, but it is still his first game back. He'd missed time in the practice field. That at least offers some avenue for improvement. And as you pointed out, 
the Packers are not likely to face a run team as good as the Browns the rest of the way. I mean, the next best team they are scheduled to play in this regard is Minnesota. We do not know at this time if Dalvin Cook is going to be available. Now, they can still run the ball without him, but that makes a significant difference. It'll also be another week with Kenny Clark. And so there's all these caveats, but, 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 but. This has been a big issue for the Packers for a long time, and it predates Joe Barry coming in as defensive coordinator. They have not really focused on the run defense as much as the pass defense for good reason. In the NFL, if you can't stop the pass, you're just dead in the water. But you have to at least be functional, and 8.8 yards per carry is not a functional run defense by any stretch of the imagination. No, they were uh, they were in the sixes for the NFC Championship game debacle against the 49ers. So that, that gives you an idea of just how bad it was. They had for a lot of the year been able to stop the run in lighter boxes. They played this this two shell. What I've been really just not, I don't know about concerned, but have have noticed and have started to take note of is the last two weeks. The Packers have just played their stuff. They've just said, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. And they continue to play these these offenses that do not have scary receivers like they are scary with this two, these two shell coverages and the off um, soft uh, uh, positioning at the snap for the corners. I, I don't understand that part of it. Um, do, do you have a, an explanation that you can offer on that? <laughs> no, I'm not sure one exists, right? Like in particular with the Browns. They could have gone to man coverage a lot more heavily than they did. The Packers are not a man-heavy team. They've been mostly uh, they've been mostly quarters and cover three. That's a lot of zone. But that is a team, as you pointed out, they don't have the receivers right now to beat you. And for reasons that I don't think either one of us understand, they were trying to pass a lot more, you know, during the middle eight of that game. So with, with that noted. They need to be more adaptive, especially when we've seen on the other side of the ball, the Packers have made a lot of these post bye week evolutions. You know, we've wrote, we've written at the leap that a lot of those core concepts that were, you know, just staples in the 2019 and 2020 version of this offense, it kind of went away the first half of the 2021 season. Those are coming back strong. They are running a lot more of those. We're going to just go you know, power right. And then immediately after, literally the very next play, we're going to have a play action off of it because we know those linebackers are going to bite. Those are staple concepts of Matt LaFleur's offense. And we've seen those come back on defense. You'd think they'd be able to make similar adjustments, especially with that week 14 bye week very recently in the rearview mirror. And as you pointed out, they, they really haven't. So at some point that's going to change. Maybe if they do secure the number one overall seed, they use that bye week to make those adjustments. But we're projecting there. We don't really know what they plan to do. And that also goes for if they get Jair Alexander back this week or in the near future. That goes for Zadarius Smith. Are those guys just going to pop into roles that exist right now? Or are they going to get roles that are customized to their skill sets? Because even at 75, 80% of what they're capable of, you still want to specialize with them because they are so impactful. This is something we talked about in the open, but Green Bay at at 12 and 3 uh all 12 of their wins they have had two score leads or they've and or they've won by two scores. Now you look at half a dozen of their games they've let teams come back in the second half. They let the Ravens come back, they let the Browns come back. Part of that is uh this this issue that we're talking about and part of that is the offense. 
has not been able to close the door as effectively. You know, you see a team like the Cowboys just beat the brains of the Washington football team. And now the Browns and the Ravens are better teams than WFT or WTF as it was on Sunday night. To what do you attribute most this inability? And I don't even want to say inability. This trend for them to have this issue after getting big leads in the second half and just taking their foot off the gas or whatever it is. I think Matt LaFleur kind of took the fault for that, right? In his post-game press conference, you know, there was that series where Ben Braden came in for Yash mm. Nijman because Nijman was dealing with some injury. He was only out for a short period of time. And they ran the ball three times in a row. and Including you know, behind Ben Braden. Including behind Ben Braden, yeah. Now, LaFleur said his logic behind that was he wanted to settle Braden in with some runs, knowing that Braden was playing across from Miles Garrett, which is somewhat understandable, right? Like, Miles Garrett is arguably the most impactful edge defender in the game, so you don't want to have this, you know, your number four option at left tackle having to pass protect against that guy right off the bench. That said, you can also run concepts away from Miles Garrett, right? Like bootlegs are a big part of Matt LaFleur's offense. So they could have just booted away from Miles Garrett. That was always an option for them. Now, some of this was also execution. If Devontae Adams does not drop two passes in three plays, it doesn't get down to that last Browns touchdown and two-point conversion attempt, right? Like like that Devontae Adams drop, I compared it this way on Twitter when it happened. It reminded me of Jordy Nelson's drop against the Buffalo Bills in the mm-hmm. second half of the 20 of, of their game in the 2014 season. Now, the Packers won this past Saturday. They lost that game in 2014 against the Bills. That ultimately cost them number one seed. Here, they're still in the driver's seat for that. But those are the stakes sometimes, right? Like you could have a, a good play call and it could work to perfection other than that last part, right? Like the Devonta Adams drop. If, if he catches that, I mean, for all we know, the Browns might have just let him score, right? Because the best move for them is to try to get the ball back with as much time as possible. The Browns at that point, would have had no other real option. And again, like the Packers ended up with the win. It it probably wasn't as close as that final score suggested, but we also know that they have won games by larger margins where the game was a lot closer. So they do need to figure out a way, especially when the opponents increase in quality, which is going to happen in the playoffs, that they need to create those large leads and maintain them for a lot longer. Like it is, it is one thing to shift towards fighting the clock versus fighting the defense. That is a real thing. That is smart. We know with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, they have effective ways of moving the ball and fighting the clock. But they can't just go, you know, th- three basic runs because Ben Braden is in there and hope that that's enough. That's a mistake. They know it's a mistake, but we have to see them corrected on the field. Yeah, and and as as Matt Lafleur also said after the game, they tried to run a little end around that but was not executed well. It was not blocked well, and they lost 10, and all of a sudden now you're in bad down and distance, you're behind the sticks, and and you're you're struggling. One play like that can can make a big difference. You mentioned Yash Nijman, and you wrote about him uh, in our Monday newsletter on The Leap. He is, he is not just becoming a, a stabilizing force as a left tackle three, which he has been and, and is. He is now open to discussions about his future on this team, which I will raise my hand. I never thought that would be the case with him. So where are you with, with, with Nigel at this point and what can he be for the Packers? I actually feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit. In one of our very first articles for The Leap, we were trying to predict what we thought would be the most uh, surprising 
53 player retention, you put Yash Nijman, and that was not considered a fait accompli at the time. Now, still, no one expected this out of him, right? Like, he's an undrafted free agent. He had injury issues at Virginia Tech. He had some of those issues, honestly, early in his career at or in Green Bay. So for him to come this far along to not just the point where he's steady enough at left tackle, they can run more or less their basic offense, but he's just good in pass protection. We don't have to qualify it. You know, he played across from Miles Garrett. And granted, Miles Garrett was dealing with a groin injury, but it is still Miles Garrett. He made his presence known. And Miles Garrett got a few pressures, no sacks. That's a tremendous day for anybody, let alone someone with Yash Nijman's background. So you look at what he is long term. Now, he only has one accrued season under the NFL CBA. That means that this offseason, he will be considered an exclusive rights free agent. The Packers can offer him a minimum contract. And at that point, no other team can even have talks with him. So it's pretty safe to assume that unless the Packers decide for some reason they don't want him, he's going to be back in Green Bay. But it's sort of, what does that mean? Is Nijman going to come back as a swing tackle? Certainly a a high quality option, if that's the case. Do they bring him back with a then fully healthy David Bakhtiari and say, okay, let's look for ways that we can save money elsewhere because the cap is going to still be very difficult for them to deal with this upcoming offseason. And do they find a way to move Billy Turner, free up some money there? I think they save between three and four million by doing that. And Nijman becomes your preferred starter at right tackle. That's certainly an option too. Do they offer Nijman the contract, sign him to the contract, and then maybe trade him for a pick. That is also on the table again because there aren't that many good offensive linemen in the league, let alone guys who can play left tackle. And Nijman has shown at a minimum that he can hack it there at a you know at a consistent level. So the Packers find themselves in a very good position with him. They didn't want to find out how good Yash Nijman was going to be but they had to, and now they know that he's someone who could figure into not just their 2021 season, but into their not-too-distant future. Yeah, and, and Billy Turner's contract, he does have a, a base salary over $5 million in 2022. They they worked into some void years this past offseason, and it felt like a move that they would make, understanding that they were going to move on from him after this season. Uh, but but we'll see on that one. Moving forward here with, with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, this is a team that is a chaos agent and they beat the Packers once this season in a game that was nip and tuck the entire way. Actually, the Vikings jumped out to a big lead. Green Bay comes roaring back. They go back and forth in the second half. We don't know if Dalvin Cook is going to play, but we do know Mike Zimmer has had some success against Aaron Rodgers. We don't know if Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to be able to play in this one. We don't know if anyone else is going to get COVID between now and then, but what else has changed, if anything? from the last time these two teams played that would make you say, okay, this is why the game will be different this time. Going into that game with Green Bay earlier in the season, not that long ago, but still, you know, several weeks ago, Kirk Cousins was playing at a consistently high level since that game. And even including parts of that game, he has gone full Kirkland signature Cousins. (laughs) He may have had his worst game, not just this season, but of the last few years, this past weekend, Now, that doesn't mean he can't turn around and have a good game, but Kirk Cousins appears to have, you know, hit that ceiling and is now coming down. So when you have an offense that's playing without its, its, well, maybe not its best player at this point, because Justin Jefferson appears to be ascending to the very highest levels of the receiver position, but uh, the, the player around which their offense is built, Dalvin Cook, 
again, we don't know if he's going to play. He could be back. That's still up in the air. 10 days from him getting on the list will be Saturday. So this will be right after that. It's it's very, very close. We, we've seen statistically that even players who have been vaccinated tend to take 10 or more days to come off that list. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that, that the Vikings themselves do not know. But if Dalvin Cook is not there and it becomes a game that Kirk Cousins has to take a larger role in, I think that's where it plays into Green Bay's hands. Because even with all the issues that we have talked about with Green Bay's defense, one of the things they've been very good about, especially of late, are those takeaways. Kirk Cousins will give his opponents many opportunities for those takeaways. They may not always be of the variety of that interception against the Bears where he threw it to, I mean, he kind of threw it to Eddie Jackson specifically, like there was no one else who could have caught it. It made no sense. There was not a receiver, even if the receiver who had fallen down had stayed on his feet, was still not going to get there, was not going to be within five yards. So Kirk Cousins is making mistakes. The Packers have a defense capable of turning those mistakes into turnovers, and they don't need more than one of two of those to put that game away, given what the offense is capable of, because that Vikings defense, which had been struggling even when the Packers last saw them, it's performing at a lower level now. So given all those things, given that the game is in Green Bay, you have to feel, assuming that there's no random thing like, you know, three-fifths of the Packers offensive line goes on the COVID list or something extreme, you have to think the Packers feel pretty good or should feel pretty good at least about this matchup. And we cannot rule that out at this point, unfortunately. Jason, thanks for taking the time. Uh, what do you what do you have going at the leap and where else can people find your work? Well, uh, the next article on the leap will actually be from you, and I've not even heard your topic yet, so that'll be a surprise for all of us. Uh, I will be writing for the leap on Wednesday. I already have an idea of what that's going to be, but I'm going to wait to see what you write to make sure we don't overlap too much. <laughs> uh, you can find the rest of my work on Twitter at by underscore JBH. I tweeted out. You can find it at SBNation.com, NFL.com, and hopefully in the not too distant future, again, on your podcast. Thanks, Jason. Thanks to Jason again for joining the show, America's guest. Go subscribe to The Leap. We would love for you to do that. Thanks again for making Locked on Packers your first listen of the day. Make sure to go check out the ultimate college football playoff preview 2021. Local experts, betting advice, and draft analysis. The most comprehensive college football playoff preview is live now. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one spot for all your sports action this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as college football continues its march through the bowl season and the college football playoff plus the pro playoffs are almost here. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked on to get that bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right down to your favorite Las Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available. Bet online where the game starts. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. Zayu doing back in full effect crossover Thursday as we get set for Packers Vikings in primetime Sunday night football. Uh, and uh, I hope everyone had a happy holidays. We're right back at it. That's what we do. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775. Stay Locked on Packers.